Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today we have a topic that I'm going to run solo, and uh, we're going to dive into the placebo effect. So this is a uh, very interesting topic, and I'm just going to put out some context here. Uh, This is purely based on science. So I am going to actually even touch on faith and belief, um, but not from the context of what your faith should be. That's up to you. You know, this is not a religious conversation. Um, However, there is some interesting comments and research done uh, discussing something that pertains to faith and also the idea that maybe placebo and and maybe the reasons why placebo may work. So I just want to provide some context on that um, as a little bit of a caution. Um, I don't think it's going to be uh, initially anybody, regardless of your faith. I think this is, this is purely uh, science-based talk. And I think, uh, I think you're going to get a lot out of this. And I think also I want to mention that I am not a specialist or an expert in the placebo effect. I am somebody who is extremely interested in the placebo effect. I've talked to different researchers and coaches and experts on the placebo effect. I've also read a lot about the placebo effect. And I dove into some research on the placebo effect in this, for this podcast. However, I have not touched on all the literature. I haven't dug through all the literature on the placebo effect. And I also wouldn't consider myself an expert yet on this conversation, this topic of placebo effect. However, I am a firm believer in the placebo effect. And before I dive into some of the research, I want to share why I'm, excuse me, a, a believer in the placebo effect. Um, and, and so I'm going to, I'm going to touch on briefly why I believe in the placebo effect, why I think it is a, um, it's something that is very real and relevant to you accomplishing more in life and you getting to the results you want to get to. I also believe that uh, there is some really cool research, some on uh, faith, some on um, faith related to recovery from illnesses or diseases and surgeries. There's also some on antidepressants. There's some on knee surgery. Um, There's also some on dieting and training. And then there's also just a lot of application that I'm going to go over. So I'm going to touch on some of the points of this um, after I kind of give you my reasoning as to why I'm a, a fan of this conversation conversation, why I believe this is something we should all consider. And then I'm also going to dive into the research and then I'm going to wrap things up with some application of how you can uh, use the placebo effect, I guess. I don't even know if that's the right way because you can't use the placebo effect if you're purposely using the placebo effect in a way, (laughs) which makes this a very, very weird uh, conversation. But it's something to consider and look into. And also it's going to create a lens on yourself, a filter while you're looking into research and information. This is also why, uh, part of the reason why I'm a big fan of why I want to talk about this is it, it really comes down to, A, I think that your mindset controls a lot of things. So one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of placebo and why I believe that uh, this is a conversation that we should be diving into and, and exploring is because I believe the mind controls quite a bit and, and the mind and the brain are two separate things. And if you haven't listened to the episode with myself and Dr. Caroline Leaf, I would highly recommend it because she explains in a much more intellectual manner why why the mind and the brain are two separate things. Um, It's hard for me to explain that. However, I do believe mindset and mindset practices and uh, creating belief in yourself and creating habits subconsciously done by the act of, quote unquote, speaking things into the universe, for example, or establishing boundaries in order to create more buy-in. So for example, if I know that placebo effect is real, then I may be more focused in particular and uh, 
I mean, shit, even, even more secure or safe with what I allow to come into my atmosphere or into my mind, into my brain, right? What practices I allow into my environment because I don't want to uh, end up bringing things in that can influence the way I think that would cause me to subconsciously head a direction that I'm not a fan of heading uh, as an individual, right? So um, long story short, I'm a huge believer in this. I think that it's something that we should consider because it can allow you to disregard or, or remove things from even coming in that could influence your thought process. For example, if you have a, a sure shot path, you're making progress, you're doing really well, and then somebody comes in with some information that you're unsure of from an accuracy perspective, maybe you don't even know that it's actually that accurate. However, its influence on you is now causing you to doubt what you are doing and doubt the effectiveness of what you're doing, your mind is going to make that reality. And you're going to see that with some of the research that I covered today. Um, but a good example of this is if I'm following blank training program and I'm really bought in, I really believe it, I'm motivated, I'm getting results. And then somebody comes in and says that that is an incorrect way of training because it does X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, right? without any scientific backing, but they're very sure about it. They're, they have a ton of conviction and you are not a scientist. So you take their word with value, believe it. And now the program you're doing starts to not work so well, right? Two reasons that happens. Number one, there are literal adaptations that happen in the body based on what you believe, right? I'm going to touch on some of those in a sec. Now, the other reason is because our mind dictates our subconscious effort to accomplish actions, tasks, and habits, right? So when you say you speak something into the universe, you might be speaking that into the universe, but really what happens is you say something with such confidence and certainty, you're speaking it out loud, you're sure that it's gonna happen because you're telling the universe, you're telling the world you're gonna do it. Now, subconsciously, from the days and weeks and months that follow, what is happening is your actions day-to-day -day change. The things that you do and the way you operate change, and therefore, really what creates the result is not speaking it into the universe and believing in it. It's that all your actions and the way you operate day to day actually changed because you were saying something, right? Your subconscious mind will change the way you do things in order to support the mission at hand. And the mission at hand is only going to become evident if you quote unquote speak it in the universe, right? So there's some different things at play going on here. Um, but there is research to show that there are physiological changes that can occur based on what you believe because your mind will make that happen. And the reason I say this is because I think that knowing this is a powerful tool because if somebody starts to come in and throw some shit at your, your plan, you can go, whoa, 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 stop. Bro, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to hear why you think this doesn't work because that's just noise. It's going to confuse me and it's going to put doubt into my brain. Well, I know this is working because I'm seeing it happen. So fuck you. Goodbye. <laughs> right? Uh, you can keep working on it. So it's important for that reason. The other reason is because if somebody sells you into something that you do enjoy and that you do love doing and you have reasoning behind it because you believe the conviction that this person has in their voice when they're telling you about it, now all of a sudden your belief in that allows your mind to actually create better results and a higher level of effort towards what you're doing because belief equals motivation. Motiva motivation equals effort. Effort equals results. You're getting more out of it. So there's a lot at play here and this, this is why it's very important. And then last but not least, there's almost always a placebo and or control group when doing research. So we have to understand what the placebo is so that we can, um, I mean, understand what research is talking about. We can understand what a placebo is, right? So uh, for definition, uh, I didn't actually write down a definition of the placebo effect. 
surprisingly. I thought I did. Um, but the placebo effect essentially is, think of it like this in research. If group A, so both groups, we have group A, group B, 200 participants, 100 people per group. They all have headaches. <laughs> and uh, this is just random. This is not. And uh, group A gets legit ibuprofen. Group B gets a placebo pill. A placebo pill is most likely going to be a capsule with maltodextrin, sodium, powder, something in it that does nothing to prevent. It's just pure powder. It's just nothing. It is a capsule full of nothing that does nothing. But they don't know who's who, right? So one of two ways. You either A, randomize and kind of tell everybody, hey, we're not telling you if you get placebo or not, but everybody's going to get either a placebo or this. Or you tell everybody, you're not the placebo group. You're the group getting the ibuprofen, right? Even if they did get the placebo. So now what we see is go, okay, what were the results? And a lot of times what happens is that group A and group B get the same results, which means that because everybody thought that they had this ibuprofen, their headaches went away, even if they didn't actually get the ibuprofen, right? So the placebo is that group controlling for placebo. It's the group that does not get X, but thinks they got X. Therefore, they still get the result of X or Y, you know, depending on how you want to explain it. So let's get into some of the research. Placebo is important. That's why I like it. I think it's really fascinating. Part of the reason I think it's fascinating is for some of the studies I'm going to go over. It just is insane to me why the mind does what it does. That's what the placebo is, though. It is, is basically removing something and telling people that they got it and then moving forward, right? Um, so uh, we're going to go through a few different studies here, um, one of which I didn't put in here, which I wish I would have, um, but we'll talk about that when we get to the, the fitness section. So the first one, uh, there is a, uh, a, it's an article, and the article has a bunch of research studies in it, some that go both ways, but it's a very interesting topic, and uh, it, it was titled, Faith Leads to a Quicker Recovery in Illness, Diseases, and Surgeries. Um, and this is quoted, Walker, 2002, showed growing amounts of research indicating when people engage in spiritual activities, they recover from illness and surgeries faster. Scientific evidence suggests that the positive effect of spirituality has on physical uh, and mental health is essential to disease prevention and recovery as regular fitness and healthy eating. As important, as essential. That could be argued, but this is what the researcher said. Personal prayer and meditation are tools many use pertaining to spirituality. Um, another study of 2,679 baby boomers found the rates of psychopath psychopathology, uh, including depression and other mental illnesses, were half as much in people of faith that frequently went to church services than those who had infrequent church attendance. And the last one quotes, high blood pressure was lowered in men, uh, in more men with a strong religious commitment in another study comp compromise of 400 participants. Um, so basically they're saying high blood pressure was lowered in the group of people who had religious backgrounds. So this is not a, uh, a podcast to convince you to have a religious background uh, or spirituality, whether you're a spiritual person or not is completely personal preference and up to you. Um, I am personally, uh, I would consider myself not an overly spiritual person, but I do consider myself a spiritual and a, a very spiritually curious person. Um, but what this tells us is, is more about faith and belief than it is about um, any type of religion, because defining religion or spiritual activities in studies like this with hundreds and hundreds of participants is impossible because it's very, the spirituality is different. So this is not about X religion. This is about people of 
any type of faith and belief in a, in a greater thing. And if we really dissect this, what this starts to show us is that once again, that the mind can control a lot of what is happening. So is it that certain people have a faith that is saving them from disease, death, uh, making surgeries worse, recovering faster, anything like that? Not at all, because we can't say that, especially because there's so many different spirituality practices and faiths within these studies. It's not just one type of faith or religion or spirituality. But what this does show is that belief, belief in a greater good, belief in more of us, belief in um, anything that is beyond us, that is greater than us, that is controlling our destiny actually has been shown to, again, recover in illness, disease, and surgeries better. And there was actually some studies on uh, breast cancer survivors that correlated a little bit to this too. It wasn't, um, the quotes that I could have pulled from it weren't, they just weren't powerful enough statements. So I didn't want to take them in this, but there is a lot of literature on that as well. And, and really what this tells us is that belief, and this is not me saying religion or spirituality is placebo. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that those things are heavily tied to belief. Placebo is heavily tied to belief. So this is all correlation, not causation or specificity, but it's the idea that I will be okay works. Literally. It's literally going through, again, illness, disease, or surgeries with the mindset that God's got me, the universe has got me. This is supposed to happen. I'm going to be okay. My surgery is going to go fine. I'm going to get through this. It is that positive affirmation to yourself and that self-belief that is leading to a faster recovery or prevention of further illness, disease, or surgeries, injuries, things like that. And that's a pretty profound statement to make, but it's, it's been shown in research. And this is heavily tied to placebo if you really think about it because placebo is, is just belief. It's, it's all it is. So when somebody tells me that I took the ibuprofen, but I got a, a, a placebo, I mean, what else could be causing me to not have a headache outside of my mind perceived that I did this, even though I didn't? There's nothing. It's belief. It's literally buy into the process, which is also why, again, and I'm going to touch on this more at the end, it's so important when going in through your fitness and nutrition journey is to get educated and create buy-in, develop self-belief, not only in yourself, by affirmations, by educating yourself, by looking at other people who are just like you that got to the place you want to be. Because there's a lot of people who say, yeah, they could do it, but I couldn't do it. There's no way I can do it. I wasn't born like that. I was, I don't have the genetics. I don't have this, blah, blah, blah. That's bullshit. There's plenty of people who are in the same starting point that got to the same ending point that you want to be at. So you have to learn from those people and see those, those living proofs in order to create that buy-in and that self-belief yourself before you get into your fitness journey, because that's how you make it happen. Right. Um, Really, really, really important for that. Uh, now, the, the second part of the research is on antidepressants. So I just have one from here. Uh, and uh, the research, I'll, uh, this one will be linked in the show notes of the podcast. Um, and, it's, and it's another article, kind of like a meta-analysis, and it's just called Placebo Effect in Depression Treatment. Um, and, and I'm going to quote from this. These results suggest that some people are more responsive to the intention to treat their depression and may do better if psychotherapies or cognitive therapies that enhance the clinician-patient relationship are incorporated into their care as well as antidepressant medications. Uh, we need to find out how to enhance natural resiliency that some people uh, tend to have. So um, basically what, what they found in this is that there are some cases where um, it is more than just an antidepressant pill that's going to cause this. It is the mindset. It is interaction. It is talking with other people. Um, 
People with depression who benefited from a placebo showed signature changes in the brain and also responded better to subsequent medication. So what this showed is that certain people got a placebo effect pill, right? They got a placebo prescription, medication, whatever it may be. And not only did they actually respond better to the the real antidepressant that they ended up taking later on, but they also benefited just as much right? So they had signature changes in the brain, which means wiring in the brain that can cause some of these neurotransmitters and chemicals to cause mood shifts, stress, depression, anxiety, things like that actually shifted in their brain, right? From a placebo, which is crazy. That means there's physiological changes from a placebo effect. Um, Again, with the depression side of things, they do need to dive deeper, but there is a lot, uh, a lot on the therapeutic side of things too, where we're talking together, we're coaching, we're consulting, we're there, uh, going through therapy and stuff like that, which is not related to a pill. However, what we do know is that they create buy-in and belief in those therapies before bringing people in. And then on top of that, the therapy process is creating buying in your ability to become better, which is also why, like, and this is not a pitch for coaching, but this is why coaching is super helpful for people trying to improve their health, improve their bodies, because there's literally a coach telling you, you can constantly. And that constant affirmation that you struggle to do yourself because you haven't created self-belief yet, but there's somebody else who cares that does believe in you telling you, you can do it. That goes a long way, a very long way. And studies show this. Hey guys, I want to take a quick second to shout out the sponsor of this podcast, which is myself. It's my own app, The Tailored Trainer, which is the simple solution to actually looking like you lift. My goal with The Tailored Trainer was to do just that. I had countless amount of people coming into our coaching to get nutrition guidance from us and they needed training help as well. And I was tired of hearing people tell me, I don't look like I lift. I'm in the gym hours every week. I'm training hard. I'm pushing myself. I'm sweating my ass off, but I don't look like I work out. What is the deal? And the deal is simple. There isn't a periodized plan backing up the effort they are putting in the gym. They don't have progressive overload methods and metrics and measurements inside their programming that are going to guide them to the result they're after, which is why I wanted to create an app that did that for you. Not only does it have actually systemized programs that are effective for your goal, for your schedule, for your body type, and for your experience, because there are tons of programs in there. That's why it's called the tailored trainer, because you can literally tailor your training to your lifestyle and your schedule and your experience level. But it's also going to have the software and the metrics inside to make sure that it's progressive and periodized without you even realizing it. You don't have to do anything and it is programmed properly to get you to progress, which is why I always tell people, stop aimlessly working out using influencers, Instagram posts and YouTube videos as your plan. Start actually tailoring the training process to you. And you can do that by downloading this app. It's less than $1 a day. And you can head over to tailoredtrainer.net to read more about it, see screenshots of the app live itself, see reviews from some of the people using it, and see a personal letter from myself as to why I created this app in the first place. So once again, head over to tailoredtrainer.net. Now, let's get back into the podcast. This is a very, very interesting one. Um, And this is a classic one. It's on knee surgery. There's a lot of these. They've done this many times, but I just pulled one. Um, and this research article, uh, is called study finds common knee surgeries, no better than placebo. And this, uh, references a few different art, uh, 
scientific research studies, but it's an article here. And uh, I quote, patients with osteoarthritis of the knee who underwent placebo arthroscopic surgery were just as likely to report pain relief as those who received the real procedure. According to Baylor College of Medicine, study published in the July 11th uh, New England Journal of Medicine, um, which is a highly sought out medical journal uh, of studies and research. But this is huge because this shows that people who didn't actually get surgery. So imagine this, you got two people, one person gets arthroscopic surgery, the other person, they cut and then sew, stitch it up so that when you look, you got a scar. That's all they did. They had the same amount of improvement, right? Which is insane that people who didn't get the surgery resulted in having the same amount of pain relief as those who did get the surgery, right? And this article goes on and on about how America is charging, uh, is making billions of dollars on surgeries that are probably unnecessary because the body can fight through it. But it also shows us too that the mind can change things inside of our body to allow us to happen. It can allow us to get over injuries. Surgery is insane. So, and that's not, if you type in knee surgery, or even just surgery placebo, there is countless experiments and studies showing that this is a thing, that your body and your mind can heal things and remove pain, perceived pain, because you believe you had a surgery or fixed the issue. Really, really wild. So now we're going to get into some fitness-related and dietary placebo stuff. And the first one is something I have used in another podcasts that we've done recently. And this study was called Mind Over Milkshakes. Mindsets, not just nutrients, determine ghrelin response. So uh, pulling some summary from it, two groups were drinking milkshakes. Both were uh, 380 calories, but the shakes had different labels on them. One read 620 calories and one read 140 calories. After drinking the shakes, the researchers monitored their ghrelin levels, um, which is a hunger hormone, which often triggers more hunger because it signals that you're still hungry. Um, and it also signals that you're satiated depending on it being high or low. The participants who drank the, the labeled 620 calorie shake had lower ghrelin levels and reported feeling full and satisfied. The group with the 140 calorie labeled shake had the opposite effect. Even though both shakes were in the fact, uh, were in fact the same uh, caloric amount, nutritionally speaking. So these people all consumed 380 calorie uh, sh- milkshakes, but One group believed that they had a 620 calorie shake. One group believed they had a 140 calorie shake. The group that had the 600 plus calorie shake said that they were full, said that they were satiated. They didn't need any more food and their hormones actually changed and uh, agreed with that. They actually showed proof of that, right? They said, I'm full, I'm hungry, no worries. Their ghrelin, their hunger hormone shifted and lowered showing that they were satisfied. Insane, right? The other group with the uh, lower calorie shake labeled, even though they actually did this to get the same amount of calories, showed that they, uh, they had higher ghrelin and they were actually hungry. And they, in their study, when you look at it, they reported more hunger and less satiation. They actually came back and said they're still hungry and they want more, even though they had the same amount of calories. So the crazy part about this is that our hunger hormones actually shifted when we believed we followed a diet. There's another study that I didn't put in here because I don't think it was well enough designed, but it's basically tricking people. <laughs> so they told them they're going on a calorie deficit. They didn't go on a calorie deficit um, and they lost weight despite being at maintenance, which is crazy. So it's kind of like the idea is that it was, it's called the placebo diet 
study so you can check it out. The thing that I, I don't like what they did is they didn't have a control group. Um, at least I didn't list it. I looked through many articles reviewing the, the study and I couldn't find anywhere that had a control group. Uh, but a control group would have been nice because then we would have known, okay, let's have two groups and just, just to rule out that, right? Because they did have these people training. They put them on a training program and everything. My thought is like, okay, was it the training causing the energy expenditure or not? Like, it, you know, because what if you put everybody on the same amount of calories, one group was told they're eating less, one group wasn't, but they all lost the same amount of weight. We know that the exercise caused the energy expenditure leading to the weight loss. Um, however, this study would prove or, or, or um, support the idea that telling somebody they're on a lower calorie diet would in fact actually cause them to lose weight. Um, and one of the ways you may be able to apply this is by eating voluminous foods. So we know that processed foods have a 25% margin of error on their label. We also know that they're already processed. So we have a lower thermic effect of food. So we probably burn less calories and we may ingest more calories by consuming them. We don't know. So a good bet is to eat more voluminous whole foods, right? We know that that's a trigger for weight loss anyway, but with that, we know that we can say like, hey, this is more volume. I'm going to be more full. I'm going to have more fiber. I'm going to have better digestion. I'm going to burn more calories by eating these foods. And if you believe it, it'll probably happen. So not only is that slightly true, although it's pretty much splitting hairs based on research if we just look at actual studies on calories of food. However, if we really believe in that, maybe we would lose more weight. Again, this is all speculative. It has to be at this point, but there's a lot of research showing that, you know, if you believe you're dieting, you're probably going to get results of dieting. If you believe, and this is a really big point for everybody here listening, if you believe that your body is stubborn, if you believe that your body can't lose weight, if you believe your genetics are fucked, if you believe that you can't build muscle because of X, Y, Z, if you believe that you don't have the capacity to get stronger, if you believe that your body doesn't want you to get leaner, you might not accomplish any of those things because you believe it. So not only were your subconscious actions, like I talked about before, probably reflect what you're telling yourself constantly, but on top of that, your mind might change the shit that's going on in the inside to support your beliefs. Again, I'm speculating, but holy shit, like a lot of the information in these studies are showing us that that would probably be the case. We have to think about that. The next study is one of my favorites. Again, I use this already, so you guys are gonna hear me say this twice. It's called Anabolic Steroids, The Physiological Effect of Placebos. Researchers took 15 lifters and had them train for seven weeks, telling them that the people who get the best results would be given steroids, free steroids. Uh, so obviously these people wanted steroids. In seven weeks, the lifter put, lifters put a combined total of 22 pounds on their bench, military press, seated press, and squat. On average, uh, which is great because that shows as well as there's a reward factor. So if there is some kind of uh, uh, interesting or intriguing reward for doing well, you're probably going to actually do better, right? Because they wanted steroids. They said they were going to give them steroids if they, for, to the best lifters, and they performed. Um, they then took six of the participants to join the steroid trial. They told them they were taking 10 milligrams of Dianabol, which is a really strong steroid uh, that a lot of professional enhanced bodybuilders take, uh, but they were really just given placebo pills. They trained for another four weeks and put on a combined total of 100 pounds on those same four lifts, meaning their rate of progress increased almost eight times just because they thought they were on steroids. I mean, I don't even need to explain that. These people thought they took steroids and their PRs went through the roof, right? And that guaranteed they built muscle in that process too, because if their PRs went through the roof, their, their training intensity and loads went up, that means their volume went up. Volume's a key driver for muscle growth. They probably built muscle too. They didn't even have to take the steroids because they believed that they were taking them. Crazy. 
Another one that was that I didn't put in here that I wish I would have that I've referred to in the past is the aerobic study. There's a gene that is uh, in all of us that contributes to, and I talked about this in the genetic study, but uh, topic podcast. Um, there's a there's a gene in our DNA that is either pro aerobic or not right? And there's other genes that influence this. So even if you don't have this aerobic gene, it doesn't mean you can't be great at aerobic efforts. But it does say that if you do have this gene, you're probably going to be more likely to be good at aerobic training. So they took groups and they basically tested these people on their aerobic ability. They got their metrics back and then they tested them for their DNA. And they told the people who had the genetic uh, so, so they split it into four groups, I believe. They took half of the people who had the genetic DNA uh, saying they would be good at aerobic training. And they told them that they had the gene and they would should be good at aerobic training. They took the other half that had the gene and told them that they didn't have the gene and therefore that it's going to make them worse at aerobic training. They took the group that didn't have the, the, the actual gene in their DNA and they told them the same thing. You do or you don't. And what they found is that the second time they tested their aerobic ability after these results of the DNA testing was shared, the, the results actually reflected much more along the lines of what they were told versus what their DNA actually said. So the people who had the DNA and were told the DNA continued to do great. The people who had the DNA but told they didn't actually ended up doing worse once they were told they didn't have the, the genetic component. The people who did not have the genetic component in their DNA that were told they did performed better than before. It like gave them a boost. And then the group that didn't have it and they were told they didn't have it continued to suck and they did worse again. So it just goes to show like, what you're told is probably going to go just as far compared to what you're actually in. So again, going back to this, your affirmations matter. The more you tell yourself you have shitty genetics, the more your genetics are going to suck, period. Last study I'm going to review and I'm going to kind of get into my uh, applications here. Uh, This last study was called the weight of uh, guilty conscious, the subject body weight, or I'm sorry, the weight of a guilty conscious, subjective body weight as an embodiment of guilt. Um, and basically this is a really interesting study and it, there was, uh, some cool things inside of it, but basically what it boiled down to, what I took away from it is you may actually feel heavier if you allow yourself to feel guilty or shameful from eating bad food. Um, likewise, when you dread working out or view it as a punishment, it will be. So basically what they found is in, in what this would suggest is if I go into a workout, looking at it like punishment, if I go into a workout thinking like, man, I don't want to do this. This is going to be fucking hard. This is not what I feel like doing. The workout's going to suck and I am not going to enjoy it, period. Like that's, that's literally what is going to happen. If I go into it with the mindset of this is going to be fun, I'm going to PR, I'm going to have a great time, that's probably what's going to happen, right? So we have to learn to train ourselves. Yes, you should try to adjust the training to be something you, you can more easily believe in and more easily find enjoyable, but it is important to not down talk, talk yourself before you get to the gym because it's going to make things a lot worse. The other side of this is, is they actually found people who – Uh, felt guilty from eating bad food or eating out or falling off the diet or anything, even if their weight didn't change, even if they didn't go into a calorie surplus, even if they didn't gain fat, anything like that. This is just the the simple thing, the feeling of being guilty. That led to them feeling heavier and having a lower uh, perceived subjective body weight and embodiment, right? And the, this, this rings a bell for me and, and kind of reminds me of some of my clients when we're going through a reverse diet or um, the cases where somebody doesn't lose any weight, but I can clearly see they're getting leaner and I'll get the check-in and I hear this happens more commonly with women, but I will, I will literally read them tell me that they feel bloated. They feel heavier. They don't feel like they're progressing. They, they didn't like their progress pictures. And then I go look at the progress pictures and I see progress. I see improvements. They look leaner right? It's, it's actually pretty crazy. Or 
I think I'm getting heavier. My pants are getting tighter. I feel really bloated. And then I look at their weight and I'm like, your weight hasn't changed. So what did you eat this week? Well, I hit my macros, but you know, I fit in this, I fit in that. So you feel guilty about eating that. And I didn't realize this at the time, but now that I've looked at this research, this is probably what's going on. Right. And this is common. You eat something and you fit in your macros, but it's off the plan. It's not clean. Now you feel guilty for eating it. You feel shameful for eating X, Y, Z for no reason. Cause you have no reason to actually feel that way. It is totally acceptable and fine for you to do so. But that guilt from eating XYZ is causing you to now feel worse, feel like you're not making progress, feel like you're heavier, feel like you're, you're regressing, right? So really, really powerful stuff. Your brain and what you tell yourself around the guilt of good food and bad food and clean food and falling diet, and not falling diet, cheat meal, having a glass of wine, whatever, is literally going to dictate how you feel about your body and how you feel from an a, a, like actual physical perspective, Right? And same thing with the gym. If you feel like the gym's going to suck, it's going to suck. So I have some really good takeaways here um, that I think are going to be very applicable to most people listening. Uh, and my, my takeaways are pretty simple. First and foremost, avoiding information overload. Kind of going back to what I said at the beginning. I think if you, you need information. I'm, I'm, I'm the king of spreading information. So I don't want you guys to take that as, and you shouldn't listen to this or other podcasts or get educated. But if you continue to have too much information coming in and it's contradicting information, like I used this example at the beginning, if I'm jumping into a program and somebody comes in giving me information, countering what I'm doing, what I believe in doing, even if their information is wrong, but they say it with conviction and that kind of changes my thought process and creates a level of doubt my program's probably not going to work as well. So it's important to have the right amount of information and continue to get supporting information unless you're doing something that's literally harmful, right? And I hope people listening to this podcast know how to stay away from harmful ideas and quick fixes and, and, and guruism in the industry. My second takeaway was avoiding program or diet hopping. Um, plain and simple, you, if you program hop too much, if you're, if you're not patient, if you're not consistent, you don't even have enough time to create buy-in and to begin seeing results, plain and simple. So you need to be patient with this. Um, third thing was speaking things into existence is a personal pre-frame that causes subconscious positive habits to be more likely to occur in your day-to-day life. And the reason I say that is because... <clears throat> Like I said at the beginning, we don't speak things into existence and then they just come to us on a silver platter. We speak things into existence because we want to believe them. And the more we desire to believe them, the more our subconscious mind will start to change our habits and the way we do things in order to support that goal and that desire. Excuse me. So speaking things into existence is a way to preframe your mind to shift your daily habits, attitude, energy, uh, focuses, environment, all those things without you really even realizing it. And because of that, you begin to see results from it. So some of this is placebo. Some of this is truly just subconscious. When you speak things into the universe, when you write it in your journal, when you say affirmations enough, you will start acting as if that's true subconsciously and therefore it becomes true, right? And then the other part of this is depending on what we're speaking into the universe, the more we read, learn, talk, hear from other people, decide on something being accurate, the more it becomes accurate for us, the more it works. Just like the aerobic example, the steroid example, the milkshake example, what we believe becomes. And it's important to get supporting information to be able to believe it so that it does become. Next, uh, belief in said diet may result in said hypothesized result occurring. Um, so again, uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of different... Um, 
pseudoscience ideas here that I listed, seed cycling, fat burners, paleo, alkaline water, et cetera. Um, things like that, that people really, really believe in and buy in and, and claim cause results are usually a result of other things happening in spite of that happening. So I might, for example, take a fat burner, but when I take my fat burner, I also see my multivitamins and my creatine and my fish oil, and I also see my green drink, and that also starts my day on the right foot, so I actually feel like I should walk some more steps because my fat burner says to do it with movement, so then I take some more steps, and now I'm tracking that in my app, so I'm going to track my macros, and it's like this habit stacking thing, and you're like, man, this fat burner works. No, when you take that fat burner, it causes you to do all these other things following that that actually are causing the fat loss to happen, right? Or seed cycling. People do seed cycling. Well, what else is also happening here? Because there's no actual research showing that seed cycling is true. And if anybody knows of any, please send it my way because up until this point, I have never seen a single scientific cited research paper showing that seed cycling works to improve people's menstrual cycle, hormonal imbalance, and stuff like that. And this is for women specifically. Yet there's thousands and thousands of women who claim this works. Well, most of the time, what's probably happening is you're cycling all these seeds and you're getting all this, this array of healthy fats in your diet that you've been missing out on because you ate processed shit and didn't do much. Now, all of a sudden you're getting two things. One, you're getting enough fat in your diet to support hormones, not seeds and nuts, fat (laughs) that just happens to be in those seeds and nuts, which you can get elsewhere if you want to, but you don't because you get them through seeds and you weren't getting that kind of fat before. Number two, most of those people were chronically dieting or overly stressed and that was causing them to have these issues. Seeds and nuts are extremely calorically dense. So we know that fats are very dense and nuts are not that filling. You can eat so much fat. I could eat a Costco size container of salted cashews, no problem. And it's probably 50,000 calories to eat that whole thing. But my point is, is if every day you're rotating through all these nuts and seeds, you're getting a lot of calories. So now you take yourself out of a deficit, you give yourself enough fuel, guess what? Stress lowers, hormones improve, boom, right? So you believe it's seed cycling, but it's these habits that are caused by this thing. And it's, and it's, and it's again, it's belief. Um, improving your mental relationship with food and exercise in order to get more out of it and stay motivated regularly. Going back to the study that showed um, the guilty conscious side effect. So really just improving your relationship with food, uh, improving that, uh, like trying to remove that guilt sensation, trying to remove the idea that exercise is punishment. All those things are going to play out to be advantageous to getting you in the gym and keeping you in the gym. Um, self-affirmations repeated over time can rewrite the truths that are in your head because if we know your mind is really dictating the actions subconsciously that you take and the energy and the attitude and the motivation you have, um, Writing affirmations in your journal, saying them out loud to yourself in the mirror to other people, really, really important for rewiring the story in your mind. And it just goes to show, you know, whether we call it placebo or we call it self-belief, they're both tied together in the sense that when we create this level of belief in ourselves, we see a better result. Uh, your actions are dictated partially by your subconscious mind after you, you've decided with your conscious mind. So going back to that, you consciously decide to do self-affirmations. You consciously decide to work on your relationship with food, but your subconscious mind makes these things happen because of that. So you're never going to see an immediate ROI, but it's important to consciously be aware and consciously put effort in towards these things so your subconscious being can begin to play them out, take action on them, and give you results from it. Um, And then last but not least, read, listen, and study things, people, or topics that you wish to act or be like, um, and then practice those things that align with an outcome you desire. Because when we do this and we learn from people who have what we want or know about what we want to achieve, and we act as if we do it, or we act like the person that would have it, or we practice the things that the person we could be 
do, right? So if I want to be 20 pounds lighter, deadlift a ton of weight, spend more time with my family, get better sleep, all these things, well, I need to start doing the simple habits and practices on a day-to-day basis that the person who has all these things would do. What is the, tw- the, the shredded, strong, athletic, loving person version of myself do to be that way? Okay, let me do those things, right? So you got to learn and try to visualize yourself in that position to believe in it, to therefore act on it and become that. Um, so guys, I hope you enjoyed this. This is obviously, like I said, I'm not, I'm not an expert on placebo, but I found a lot of this information extremely fascinating. I think the mind is more powerful than most people allow themselves to believe. And although I'm a training and nutrition coach, um, at tailored coaching method, we go so much further beyond. That's why in the beginning of the podcast, I say every time the one and only podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. And that's really what we're about. We're about doing it because that's what creates life changing results. So take this seriously, start creating self-belief in yourself so you can change your life, change results, um, and change the way your body forms. Because truly, if you change your mind, you can change the rest. I'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. Leave us a five-star rating review if you enjoy this. Share it with a friend, please. And make sure you do me a favor. Click the Ask Boom Boom button if you have any questions, topics, or people you'd like me to interview so I can get them on the show for you.